Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Shift Show where my number one goal is to bring you the tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change gymnast lives. My name is Dave Tilly and we are back with another question and answer episode. Um, it's been really cool. Uh, people have been really liking the question and answer kind of, you know, 15, 20 minute uh, couple questions to just I guess think about as they're, they're driving to the gym or they're kind of going to work or whatever it is. And um, I like these too. I really like hearing people's feedback and trying to deliver as much value as I can. I think it's way more interesting for me to, you know, really understand the problems that people have and try to directly help those issues than it is to maybe always give those those really long lectures that sometimes people are uh, diving into over multiple days. So we're going to keep bouncing back and forth between longer episodes with the lectures or with interviews and the shorter episodes kind of with these Q&A. Um, I think that they, they give a good break to people too because Sometimes it's hard to listen to those longer episodes, but um, if you want to submit a podcast question, if you if you have something that's on your mind, I'd be happy to answer it. What you want to do is you want to head over to shiftmovementscience.com backslash podcast. There's a form right at the top there, um, and you can just type in your, your name, where you're from, uh, your email and then submit whatever question you want. And that sends an email over to me that kind of puts it in this uh, growing data bank of a bunch of questions that people have been asking over the last few weeks. And so I try my best to get to as many as I can. Obviously, I like to keep these short, so I usually go three per episode. Um, and I think that if we just keep getting a good database of questions, if they start to repeat, I'll maybe move them around a little bit. But uh, so far, the, the big like range of questions has been really, really cool. So I appreciate that. Please definitely head over after you listen to this, uh, this episode and, and give us you know one or two to kind of use. So, and today kind of on the on the backbone of, of questions I think that I, I was going to originally try to tackle this question uh, in a bunch of uh, you know neighboring questions with it but it's really such an important and such a large question that I just wanted to do one so this one came from Instagram uh, Becca Jenkins said what changes need to be made to the culture of gymnastics for future success and this is clearly something that everybody is talking about right now. I think across all mainstream media, every person I see that's not involved in gymnastics is asking me about what's going on with gymnastics culture and you know how did it get so rough and why is there so much bad exposure right now? And I don't wanna dive into the specifics of my opinions on that. I'd rather talk about you know kind of moving forward, what can change. And I really spent a lot of time thinking about all of the different areas that I think could probably be possibly positively impacted in the next, you know, definitely a year, if not three to five. So here's just a quick list of things that I have seen across the world when I'm traveling. I'm lucky to spend time in other countries and talk with some awesome coaches and medical providers as well who are working, sports scientists who are working with teams. And it seems consistent that these things are important from recreational level to elite, from, you know, men's, women's, trampoline, artistic, whatever it is, rhythmic, all these things are important debating, you know, regardless of whether you're in one of those positions and, and kind of whether you're coaching or a medical provider, or whatever. So here's kind of my list about things that I think helped our culture change in our gym and that we're working on. And that I also think I see in many other high performing gyms or highly successful gyms where the kids are happy, healthy, and they go on to do incredible things with their, you know, gymnastics careers. So Number one is I think that everybody in gymnastics, regardless of what position they're in, needs to take on more personal accountability and some more self-awareness right? about trying to make sure that what they are doing in the gym, whether they are in a, in a gym, in a medical clinic, in a strength and conditioning facility working with gymnasts, whether they're just a parent, whatever it is, I think everybody needs some more self-awareness about how they can align their habits and their morals with the actions they take every day. And so there's really no question about it that 
all of the athletes in gymnastics model the people that they're around, right? They, they model their parents, they model their coaches that they spend so much time with, they model their friends that they hang out with the most, they model people they see on TV or social media, right? That's how we learn as humans to adopt behaviors and to adopt new ideas is to follow the people that we spend the most time with and that we're kind of inspired by. And so everybody in gymnastics, I think, really needs to take a step back and say, why am I involved in gymnastics? What do I want to get out of it? Do I want to help kids grow through, you know, the values that gymnastics has to teach, such as work ethic and dedication and community and, you know, supporting each other and things like that? You know, am I doing it for those reasons or have I drifted slightly and maybe I'm motivated by things that are not sustainable long term or don't have the best, you know, primary core interest, you know, chasing medals or chasing awards or things like that or attention on social media. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of all of those things when I was a younger coach and the best way that I ever helped change the culture of my gym and the way that I was training with athletes is, you know, I started to take more responsibility about the things I was doing. It turned into modeling maybe better behaviors for the athletes and the other phenomenal coaches that I work with also started doing that as well. We all started to ask like, okay, you know, maybe we need to kind of clean up the way that, you know, we act, our, our nonverbal communication. Maybe we need to role model better with with working out ourselves and eating well and trying to be patient and calm and, and practice when things aren't going well. Maybe we need to not be so, you know, sparky in terms of snippy and, and talking, you know, quick kind of aggressive coaching corrections. Maybe we need to really take a step back and think about our communication styles and it took honestly probably three to five years for that to slowly seep in but it slowly built up a different culture of you know a positive base you know more motivational we're in this together mindset and not so much of a I'm the coach I tell you what to do so you do it and that always kind of tends to just lead to resentment and a, and a larger risk of burnout and also athletes who are a little bit more frustrated with the process so it's a longer example but I mean it's a longer answer but I think that that's definitely number one is, is how to get positive change and on that I think the second thing is going to be just leading by example right the worst thing that you can do for yourself or for other people you're leading is to have a gap between what you say and what you do. If you say one thing and you say you're going to be on practice on time, you're going to have new strength, you're going to whatever, you're going to, you know, come up with new drills, you're going to you're going to start doing more things yourself to to be studying more and reading more, but then you never actually follow through on that. That is a very easy way to break trust, right? And so I had to learn this the hard way is that sometimes I was saying one thing and doing another and the athletes would detect that and other coaches I was with would detect that and it kind of came down to me being like, okay, maybe I have a little bit big of an ego and I'm taking on too much. I need to kind of clear clear up uh, you know, my priorities and where I'm spending my time. But um, if you can close the gap between what you say and what you do and just lead by example, you know, not always talk about what you're doing, but just do it and, you know, humbly kind of keep quietly working and just lead through that motivational example. Many times the kids will follow suit and it's not always true. There's definitely athletes who, you know, have different motivations and won't follow through, but as a whole, it tends to push your culture in a positive direction. So that would be number two. Uh, number three, I think comes down to more of the actual gymnastics training. Um, I think we should not be afraid to push hard in training. I think we have to make sure that we're definitely preparing the athletes for sports. Sports is so incredible because it is hard and it does create work ethic and dedication and perseverance over multiple years to get better. But we have to do it intelligently and with really proper science behind it, right? We have to make sure that we're using the latest strength and conditioning research, the workload research, flexibility, the best expert gymnastics coaching opinion for technique and for how many to do, what drills to do, things like that. You have to use all of the resources available 
and you have to make sure that you're dosing the athletes with the proper progression and then like, you know, periodization of light, medium and intense, high intensity days. So we're not just continuously burning the athlete out or pushing them too hard. So there's a lot of uh, different areas to get information from, and you should take all of those people in a collaborative mindset and make sure that everybody has a voice, right? If you can, and you should, you should be able to have a, me a medical provider, a mental health provider, a nutritionist, a doctor, parents, yourself as coaches, mentors, you know, everybody, and I'm, I'm probably missing a ton, but everybody should be involved as much as you can have that. And you should also make sure that you're valuing the athlete's opinions just as much as everybody else, right? You need to ask your athletes about training and what they feel is going well or not going well. And if there's anything that they would exchanging, and obviously there's going to be some wiggle room and, and, you know, compromise built into that. Sometimes they do just need to be continuously pushing but there's a way to take everyone's opinion everyone's voice base it on proper science and then make sure that we're pushing the athletes appropriately to get them ready for gymnastics okay issues come up on both sides of the spectrum when you're not pushing people at all they get hurt because the sporting demand is too high but then on the other side if you push too hard you know people burn out people break down and that's the overuse kind of issue that is plaguing gymnastics right now so that would be kind of my next suggestion for culture changes to kind of embrace more of that you know intelligent but hard training and not just blindly pushing as hard as you can with these crazy arbitrary numbers for routines or skills. So number four, uh, I think I learned this from my incredible boss, Eva Shute, when we were first kind of addressing changing our culture, you have to make sure that you are critiquing athlete behaviors and not them as people. Okay. You have to always make sure that what you say with an athlete and with kids is, is being appropriately delivered because sometimes it can make a significant impact on their health and well-being. So if something is going wrong and you're not happy with the way your culture is and you've taken more personal accountability, you're learning more, you're leading by example, you're doing your research, but athletes still are just not following suit with what was outlined as the expectations. And I think that's a very realistic part of dealing with kids. You have to, you know, politely pull them aside and say, listen, I, I, I talked to you once about this and it doesn't sound like it's, it's seeing any change. Uh, you know, I'm not okay with the way that you're acting right now. Like you agreed upon being here, working super hard and trying to be respectful of your teammates. And right now you're distracting because you're talking in sidelines and you're not actually doing the drills, right? Or, you know, everybody else is trying to get their strength done and you're kind of just slowly mo rolling through the motions and it's not really very effortful. Or I asked you to do five and you haven't really gotten one done yet. You know, your, your behaviors right now are just not in line with what we agreed upon. So I'd like that to change. Um, and if not, we're going to probably, you know, ask to have a different conversation with your mom or maybe talk about something else. So, you know, in that interaction, you didn't come down on them and say like, you're not doing this well, you're not a good person and you and this and like, you're not calling the athlete out, you're calling out the behaviors and the actions that you're seeing and you're critiquing those. And I think that's a very important distinction because, you know, if you, if you don't think about that as a filter and you attack the athlete, they get extremely defensive and they get extremely upset and it causes an issue. I mean, imagine in your own life, imagine if someone came at you at work, a colleague or a coach and attacked you as a person, right? You'd instantly throw your kind of guard up and you'd be very reflexively upset about that. But if somebody, you know, presented things to you in, in a professional and a very honest way about like, hey, I, I noticed that you're doing this as a behavior and, you know, I don't think that that's going to be a great long-term strategy. Maybe we can, you know, sort this out a little bit. You have a much better opportunity to fix the situation long-term than, you know, going crazy and, and either yelling or screaming or attacking them or something like that. And, you know, everybody's obviously watching. So if they see you flip out and, and attack a, a, an athlete as a person, everybody else is going to kind of hold that in resentment in their memory. So, 
I think that's a very important thing to consider when you're day-to-day -day interactions. Um, so this next one is kind of going to be more on the bigger meta level of gymnastics, but I think this is something I was extremely guilty of as a younger coach um, and something I see across many different areas is you have to make sure that you are not valuing the opinions of other people more than the own opinion you have of yourself. Okay, and what I mean by that is that if you believe that you're you're doing gymnastics for whatever reason, you're coaching it, you're doing it as an athlete, you're working as a medical provider, okay, you have to be doing the best you can with the tools you have and understand that you are just doing your own version of yourself, right? You're trying to be the best version of yourself that you can be. Okay, you, you shouldn't be putting new skills on hard mats and competition because you're worried about, you know, a parent getting upset with you. If it's not ready, it's not ready, right? You shouldn't be worried about other coaches judging you. You shouldn't be worried about, you know, the athletes worrying about other athletes and things like that. It's so hard to do with our lives on social media and with everything else there. But if you put all the attention on everybody else looking at you, it's really hard to stay focused on your goals and your alignment. And this is obviously what we teach the athletes too, right? You don't want to have them train their entire life based on what other people think of them. You don't want to train their entire career based on other skills that people are getting. You want them to do their best effort, work really, really hard, and try to make sure that their tunnel vision is, is kind of in line. They Obviously, you want to see the landscape and know what's going on from a competition point of view, but you don't want to live that way based on everybody else's opinions being so important to you. So I think that I've just seen many times when I'm worried about the motivations of people based on, you know, chasing attention or social media posts or things like that. Or um, I think that if everybody took a step back and really just tried to not d narrow in on what they were doing with their athletes, it would be better. So that's another very important one I think is, is probably going to see a big change coming forward. Um, the next one I would say is more about kind of working with other people more collaboratively. Um, I would say that people should probably get outside their four walls, as my buddy Nick Ruddick says, and try to experience other gyms, try to visit, try to try to see what people are doing with different ideas and different drills. Um, I'm lucky that I travel and I, I work with people so I can see what they're doing. Every time I go to a gym to consult or give lectures, I always take away a ton of information too. I'm always learning new stuff that I bring back to the gym or you know, I ask other people around the gymnastics community for their ideas and resources, things that can be helpful. So you know, I still think that I have a ton to learn as a coach and I have way more work to do to help the athletes progress. So uh, I'm not you know, brash to think that I, I know it all in any way, shape or form, but you know, studying other coaches and studying people, they always kind of spend some time outside of their own gym just to get a new point of view or you know, somebody else comes to their gym and they say, hey, you know, if you see anything, just let me know that you think might be better or change or things like that. So really embrace new ideas around other gyms, but also moving forward in gymnastics, be very open to significantly different training methods than we've had for the last 10 to 20 years. So the, the science has evolved a ton. The coaching style experience has evolved even more. Um, and we are seeing that maybe there are many, many new ways for uh, technique and drills, flexibility, strength, uh, physical preparation in general, and as well as, uh, you know, workloads and how many hours kids are in the gym, be kind of ready for the next few years to just, if something comes at you and it's really, really different than what you're used to, really hear it out and entertain it and try something. And then if you try it, it doesn't fit for your gym, you can kind of move on, but definitely be open to that new idea because I think we're going to see in the next two years, especially just a massive change in how much types of training we're seeing in terms of the diversity, but also new styles that we maybe wouldn't have entertained before. So uh, kind of building on that, a couple more. So this one goes directly off that new idea is I think we definitely need to move the peak of gymnastics. That peak age used to be kind of in that 15, 16 for women and a little bit older for men, but um, we kind of got to throw that out of the window. I mean, there's definitely... When you're younger, gymnastics is very difficult. You do need to spend more hours learning drills and skills and technique, uh, but there's a way to do that 
safely and progressively where you're not going to overload the athlete as they're going before puberty or through puberty. Um, I mean, there's just so many high-level athletes now training at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, beyond, like, you know, middle 20 aged athletes who have had long, healthy careers. Um, I think we need to really understand that gymnastics is just so insanely hard now uh, with the skill volume that's being done that we really can't push athletes to uh, peak too soon or get these super hard skills too early and compete them just because you're starting to introduce a very, very high volume of stress on them before they're ever really maybe physically prepared, mentally prepared, or, you know, kind of have that all figured out. So I don't know what the age is that we should be pushing for. I don't know. I mean, I know there's tons of rules and college situations and stuff with scholarships and, and the elite programs and the ages for competing. And I know it's a very, very complex program uh, problem, but an intersection of the peak being younger, um, the athletes training year round, and also most athletes are starting to specialize at an even younger age where they only do gymnastics. It's a really, really dangerous storm and the research supports that. So I think we have to have a hard conversation about maybe doing more periodized training throughout the whole year and cross training, maybe, you know, a, a relative deload or off season after the nationals or, you know, whatever their biggest event is. I think we really need to understand that, you know, people can't operate at that high intensity to young age all year round. And we need to find ways to play more in the gym a couple times throughout the week and, and kind of mix up the training. Obviously, you know, it's it's extremely challenging at a young age and you need to be doing gymnastics a long time for to, to see progress. But um, there's just so many kids that are, are hurt and are burnt out and are just really frustrated with gymnastics at an early age. And, you know, a lot of them are quitting. And that's just the reality of the situation is that we're seeing a lot of kids be kind of a combination of factors of injury frustration and not progressing in levels or burnout mentally and, and they kind of just slowly start to trickle off and they eventually stop or, or, or move to another sport and that's really tough to see so i think those all the factors from above but also the the specialization year-round training and kind of um, the aspect of early peaking is something we need to consider um, and then kind of lastly i'll just end on this one is i think that we really need to start thinking having multiple layers to the decisions that we make. So what I mean by that is what is the exact, you know, what is the implication that this is going to make right now? What's the second, third, and fourth kind of layer to it behind it? So what is this going to mean for a month, a year, three years, five years? You know, I think a lot of times I was guilty of of making decisions based on the next immediate move. So the meat coming up or, you know, the skill being developed. And I didn't really consider what those things would do on the, the longer term goals. So maybe stop thinking only in weeks and consider about like, you know, one, three, five months to one, three, five years down the roads. Uh, the best coaches that I've been lucky to work with really understand the longer term goals that go behind it. You know, the athletes 12, they want to get to college. They want to whatever they want to graduate high school and just do low level recreational casual gymnastics and move on healthy with life. Or they want to you know, go into a college scholarship, whatever it is. But if you think about those things when they're really, really younger, the same way that you kind of build your skill profile and the, uh, you know, your eventual skills they want to do down the road are trained on softer surfaces or in smaller degrees when they're younger, you have to think about the entire human like that, right? The decisions you make with training, how much they're training, the way you interact with them, how you're educating them, um, the way that you're talking to parents, the way you're interacting with other professionals or medical providers, the way that you kind of do that from a younger age sets the stage for how those things come up down the road. So um, yeah, that was a monster response. And uh, I wanted to really make sure I thought out that well, because I, I know it's something that people have asked me about multiple times um, as I travel. So there's obviously a lot more to that and there's a bigger discussion to be had, but those are kind of my seven to 10 points about what I think is probably the most important that I've found helpful, but also people um, have also taught me 
through my interactions with them. So um, if you guys like this uh, and just want to do one kind of monster question, I'm, I'm cool for that too. So submit these questions if you guys would like to see that. Um, but we'll keep it at about 20 minutes right now. Like I said, if you have more questions that you want to get answered, just head over to shiftmovementscience.com backslash podcast. Um, you can answer whatever you want or you can submit anything you want there. Um, if you really like this episode, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with your friends and your community, uh, rate and review on Spotify, iTunes, whatever it could be just because it helps kind of keep the podcast growing and get more questions and I can and kind of get more thoughts from people. So uh, I thank you for your time and your attention and I hope you have a wonderful day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests do you want to have on in the future? And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful and that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.